As the Lord enables us, I would like you to turn to the portion we read there to Hebrews chapter 11. And the last two verses that we read together, 21 and 22. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning upon the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. And if we were to give a title to this service and to meditation this morning, I would simply say, Bones. Utterly convinced. Because that's the testimony we have here of Jacob. His command concerning his bones demonstrates tremendous things about his spirituality, trust and reliance upon the Lord. We often find in public figures a single event in the whole of their life is highlighted and linked with that person. Whatever else the person did for the rest of his life, they are forever remembered for that one thing only. Nero, and he fiddled when Rome burned. Neville Chamberlain, waving a piece of paper, peace in our time. The Prime Minister, Maggie Thatcher, the lady's not for turning. Things that stick about that one person. David, Bathsheba. Samson, Delilah. Daniel, Lion's Den. And so it goes on. Peter, he denied his Lord. But the one item that is singled out for us can so often surprise us. When you go to Matthew chapter 25, the Lord is there talking about his return and the separation that's going to take place between those who are his and those who are not his. And what's the decisive quality that the Lord highlights and sets before us for the basis of that separation and that division? You gave me food and water. You gave me clothes for my back. And you came to see me when I was in prison. Nothing eye-catching. Nothing in the headlines. Nothing in the front top columns of the papers or the headlines in the news. Nothing of these things were important to the Lord. It's almost the incidental, insignificant things to us but they're important to the Lord. When we come to Hebrews chapter 11, I've often likened it in these state houses in the Highlands, you'll always find in some of these big houses there's a trophy room. And along the wall there's umpteen heads of animals or stuffed fish or whatever along the cabinets in the wall. It's a trophy room. Hebrews chapter 11 is God's trophy room of those of faith, illustrating what they stood for, what they spoke about, what and who they trusted in. 
Their lives are full. Their lives are rich. They're examples for us to encourage us. And there we are. We're taken round. There's Noah. What did he do? He built an ark. We move along the wall of the trophy rooms of God's people and we come to Abraham. What did Abraham do? He offered his son. He held on to the promise. And no matter what it involved, he was going to be faithful to what God asked him to do in offering his son in sacrifice. And we so we move along the wall until we come to Joseph. Well, plenty in his life that we can think of. The patience when he went into prison. The sincerity of his dealings with all of his family and with the nation of Egypt. The forgiveness that he extended to the brothers for all that they did against him. A full life. But you've got to go right through all of the days and the years of his life. And before you find what is important and significant to the Lord. Almost on his last breath, he demonstrates something that the Lord picks up on and sets before us in our chapter here this morning. He demonstrates his faith and his trust in the Lord in saying something that nothing spoke louder about. He said what? He gave commandment concerning his bones. <coughs> that was the important thing the Lord picked up on and sets before us in this chapter 11. He trusted in the Lord the Lord who sustained him through all of these things that we might pick up on and single out. That faith and trust in the Lord influenced the way he lived. He never wavered. That faith never faded. He never abandoned him. That faith in his Lord and in his God was the key stone that explained and influenced all that he did. And it was shown in this one last breath. He gave commandment concerning his bones. What about you and me? What do we focus on? What is influential in your life and mine to that same extent as it was in Joseph? A reliance upon the Lord. A total, utter commitment to what God had promised and what God would do. Never wavering, never fading, never abandoning. Key, a keystone for us as it was for Joseph. God had promised that there was going to be a land given to them, a rich land. Go back to Genesis 15, a land that was there to be settled in as a nation. They were not going to be forever in Egypt. A, delayed, a great deliverance was coming. To be sure, yes, there was no deliverance. There was no detail as to how that deliverance was going to be achieved. But it was coming. God had said it was going to happen. And Joseph believed it. 
his death, the problems in Egypt, time, none of these things were obstacles in the way. We're told there in Hebrews 11, they saw these promises from afar. And that promise and the prospect influenced the present day living of this man. And even the very way that he died. It had not yet happened. But he was sure it was going to come sometime. And so he spoke about his bones. Utterly convinced that it was going to happen. No doubt whatever. Despite all the signs against it. It was going to happen one day. Just as he had spoken. So it did. If you go back to Genesis chapter 50, you find there the setting of the East words quoted in Hebrews 11. And there we stoop and we catch the last words of the last breath of this man. And he says two simple things. In verse 24 of 50 in Genesis, Joseph says, look, this is what God is going to do for you. Bring you out. This is what God is going to do for you. And then he goes from verse 24 to verse 25 and he says, and this is what you're going to do for me. You're going to take my bones with you when you go. He, we, are the same. We're all called to trust and to rely upon what God has said. To take it to ourselves. To have an effect upon us. And to live our life always underneath its comfort. Sometimes its challenge. So this morning I want us to think of this, the faith of this man Joseph. First of all, I want us to think of the confession of his faith. <coughs> then I want us to think of the effect of his faith. Then I want us to think of the conclusion, the fulfillment of his faith. First of all, then, the confession of his faith. Joseph, he trusted in God through his life, through all the provinces, the twists of his life. And at the end, his faith was as strong as ever. The world in which we're living today is a world which wants conformity to their standard and to their mold and to their measure. Paul tells us in Romans 12, don't conform yourself to the world. It's like a car press. It doesn't make any difference what the quality of the car. It can be a big car, a little car, a modern one, an old one. But they're all different when they come in the front of the queue into the scrapyard. When they go into this press... And they come out at the other end exactly the same square block of metal. That's the kind of pressure that is on you and me in this world today. It wants conformity. Every one of us, just the same. doesn't make any difference the difference to begin with. The end is always what's important. And Joseph and you and I, we're all of us underneath that same pressure to conform. We and he are in the school of hard knocks. You and I are in the school of experience. 
And we've got to be able to take our faith out into the world to live it, expose it to others for have it confirmed to us the strength to sustain us and as a witness to others of who we follow and who we believe in. Yes, things may not just work out the way we want them to. Things might go wrong for us. And sometimes we say, why me? Joseph could easily have said that. Think of how he was treated by his brothers when he was sent into the pit. And the truth, or at least the story went back home that something had killed him and here's his clothes and everything else. You think of the way in which he was insulted when he was sold as a slave into Egypt. You think of the disasters which multiplied upon him when he was faithful to his God. And all of it at the end, perhaps, there was always the doubt knocking on the door of his mind. Does God care? Is God there? He and we, we're all in the school of hard knocks. The confession of his faith. Let's go through the school classroom then and see how this faith was tested. First of all, the classroom of the pressures of life. Next to Pharaoh, Joseph was second in command. All the responsibility was his, the infrastructure of organizing things for the seven years of famine after the seven years of plenty. He had to arrange things. That was his responsibility. The logistics of doing that, an enormous challenge, the pressure of getting the survival of two nations, his own and Egypt. Oh, there would have been many coming at his door and clamoring for a favor. Many people would have come and pled brownie points. Well, Joseph, you remember what I did for you? And I need this. The kind of pressure that he was under. But he was never spoiled. Never corrupted. For 60 years he kept true to his confession in his law. Temptations were strong, yes, because of the pressures in life. There was anything that he wanted, he could have got. We've got lesser temptations today. But as I said a moment ago, we have the same pressure on us to squeeze us into the mold round about us of society. People today want to exclude any God from their thinking. They want to abandon any morals from their behavior. They want to adopt the majority view of those round about. That's what pressure you and I are under. Listen, just enjoy life when you've got it now. Never mind thinking about the things to come. The pressure of life. Conflict with the faith that we confess. As it did with Joseph, so it is with ourselves. But in that school of experience and hard knocks, he came through with flying colours. Pressures of life go through to the next classroom. Okay, what about the school of loneliness in life? Remember, he's alone in Egypt. 
He doesn't share the fellowship that you and I might have. He doesn't have anybody he can lift the phone and speak to when he's got a problem to talk about it. He was a lone light in the darkness of Egypt, but yet he never once flickered. He kept and retained the contact with his God. And all the more increasingly as he realized he was alone. Because he didn't have anyone else to speak to. He spoke all the more with his God. The Lord was all the more precious to him. And even Potiphar. Go to Genesis 39 verse 3. There we have it. Potiphar, top dog in Egypt. The Pharaoh himself, his testimony about Joseph. God is with you. God is there with you. The loneliness of his life. But still, the testimony of his faith shining through. Loneliness for you and me. Well, today, there are not many Christian witnesses in society in sport, in media, in business, in finance, politics. Call it wherever you want to go. There's the Christian voice, but it's often a single voice. We can be alone in speaking out in school. Social concern. And whenever anybody speaks out on the side of the Lord, they're often shouted down, branded as excessive or extreme or some kind of legislation is thrown at them to mute them and to silence them. The loneliness of the Christian life for Joseph and for us. And we need the great strength to carry on. Think of, Joseph, think of Joshua when he took over from Moses. Leadership, whatever else might be said, leadership is a lonely business. Then and now. And there was Joseph, there was Joshua taking over from Moses, and Moses knows the situation and he gives him advice. The very first chapter he says, What are you going to do, Joshua? Do this. Stick close to this book. Stick close to what God is saying. That's the recipe for success and blessing. For the rest of your life. Loneliness. But the compensation. All the more. Fellowship. Without God. So yes. The pressures of life. One classroom. Close the door. Next one. What about the loneliness of life? Be in. Learn to move on. Third classroom. The prosperities of life. Prosperity today. Breeds complacency. A laid-back attitude. The Lord can fill one person's cup to the point of overflowing. Whereas someone else's cup hardly has a drop in the bottom of it. And each of these situations is a test of a Christian position. Poverty can breed bitterness. Prosperity can bring in distraction. Neither of these are to be cultivated or chased after. The important aspect is the attitude of our soul 
in whatever circumstances we're in. It doesn't matter how much or how little we have. What's important is our relationship with God. Joseph, he had the best of grass. He had the best of crops. He had the best of animals. Life was going well for him. He was blessed. But God's purpose was still unfulfilled and the promise had not yet been realized. And he gazed and gazed and gazed on what God had said. Yes, to be sure, God was going to visit his people. But there always the pressure of prosperity to distract him. The same pressure for us today. In one of the early chapters of Mark, the Lord had sent the disciples out on a mission. And they all came back and they were bubbling up and they were talking. Says, hey, we went here and there and we did this and that and this is what the Lord did. And there was all this coming out to tell the Lord. And the Lord puts his hands up and he says, Come ye apart and rest a while. When prosperity comes, all the more we need to cultivate and to feed and to hold on to that relationship with our God. We need to renew our strength. We need to be refreshed by his love. And especially we need to reset our priorities. We need to ask the Lord to have the fire burning in our bones. We need to be standing on a firm foundation. And we need to keep true to the one whom we love and who's done much for us. To our confession of faith. It may not be the same as Joseph. His confession was bones. God is going to visit us and I'm going with you. That was his confession of faith. We might be asked to do something totally different. But we can learn from Joseph. For a good. So there's the broad foundation. I've deliberately taken some time on it to establish it. Let's now build on it. The second thing I said, not only the confession of his faith, but the effect of that faith. It wasn't a faith that suddenly erupted at the end of his life. It was there all the way through his life. That trust and reliance upon God. Nobody, but nobody could point a finger at Joseph to be inconsistent. You did this yesterday and look at where you went and what you read and what you ate. And now today you're saying this. No, that was not the case for Joseph at all. He was consistent. His faith influenced every day and every moment of his life. And I want to highlight it in two simple ways. First of all, he refused to be called an Egyptian. Let me set a simple trust, a simple contrast before you. Go back again to Genesis chapter 50. And there we have the words of Joseph giving command about his bones. Earlier on in that very chapter of Genesis, in chapter 50, we have all the details given to us about the burial of Jacob, his father. It, he had died. 
and you read there that this was going to be a great, magnificent funeral. We've all been aware of how our nation can do that in the loss of our Queen last year. The regalia, the organisation, the procedures, the parades, everything in place. Here we have it as well. A lavish funeral procession. Even the Egyptians mourned for 70 days about the death of Jacob. And then there was a procession to his burial place. Oh, this must have, this must have been a grand Egyptian. But when it came to the death of Joseph, what a contrast we have at the end of that chapter. No great pyramid for him. Just a box. Just a box to keep his bones. Oh yes, he could have been set side by side with the greatest. He could have a plaque about his grave. The man, the director of the king's granaries. The man that saved our nation. Everything could have been stacked up for his praise and honour. But they were all empty. Because he held firmly to this one conviction. That he was going a place. And he wasn't going to be called an Egyptian. As the sun sets. The sun catches hold of this and that in his life. The sunset days and moments. And the sun sparkles. And shines on something precious and important. His command concerning his bones. I'm not an Egyptian. So that's a negative thing. The effect of his faith. But the more positive thing I want us to think about is he preferred to be called and to be in the company of God's people. He knew God was coming to bless them. He was certain of that and he wanted to be with them. No matter what the difficulties he had made a choice and he was claiming the promises. There was nobody else he desired to be with. All the people around him, that's the people he wanted to be with. God had spoken good concerning Israel. Yes, he had spoken good about them here and now in Egypt. They were going to come out. But not only had God spoken here and now, God had also spoken about there and then. You're going into a land, a rich land of promise. And so he wanted to be in their company. And he wanted his bones to be embalmed. And he was saying to these people, don't you dare. Don't you dare bury me here. I'm going with you. God is yet going to come and bless you in fulfilling this promise that he's given and made. And one day you're going. And I'm going with you. A lesson for ourselves. 
we're not of this world. We don't have the same outlook. We don't have the same desires. We are, as we're told and read of in Hebrews 11, we are strangers. We are a travelling people. Let me throw three simple thoughts about travelling people to challenge us. Challenge in this way. Travelling people have a distant look in their face. They are never engrossed with what's immediately round about them. They've always got their eye fixed on a distant horizon where they're going and the one there they're going to meet with. A distant look in their face. There is a restlessness with him and with us as we look at that distant horizon the glory of Emmanuel's land a distant look but also there is secondly a definite purpose in life no longer is Joseph drifting aimlessly by wind and wave driven each and every day no he's got a target, he's got a goal, he's wanting to do something very specific now, his eye has been set on that distant horizon and the person that is there and he's moving with resolute determination and purpose towards meeting his God a definite purpose in his life preparing for that place and that person like ourselves to be preparing, to be ready, to be summoned into the presence of the Lord whom we love. That's the purpose. That's the distant look in our face. And the last thing to challenge us, there's a delight in his voice. Many people today talk about the Lord Jesus Christ and use it as an oath. But for the Christian, there is the reference of joy. There is a conveying of the reality of knowing him for ourselves. There is the experience every day of God's blessings, decorating, riching and filling our lives. A delight in our voice as we speak of the one who has loved us and continues to show that love to us day after day. And one day to come we will know that fullness in a measure we cannot imagine or fully explain even now. The effect of faith. Not an execution. Deciding God's people. A distant look in his face and ours. A definite purpose in his life and ours. A delight in his voice. And in ours. The challenge then is for ourselves. Are we captivated by the present? What's going on round about us? Or are we like Joseph? With that distant look. In our face. So yes, there we have it. The confession of his faith. The effect of his faith. Thirdly, what about the fulfilment of his faith? 
What happened to that box of bones? Were they just forgotten about? What's the significance about them? It wasn't a tribal thing. It wasn't a, a, a social convention. It wasn't a, a family thing, the, the family silver that's always handed down generation to generation. It's none of these things. This is a spiritual issue. He is looking for and trusting in the promises of God and his bones are tied up with that promise. He's not buried in a coffin and put into a pyramid. He's embalmed in a box and is ready to move on. The generations would come, it's over 150 years, at least in Exodus time. And the generations would come and go over these years. And young ones would come up and they would always see that box and it's got a dust upon it and it's showing its age and all of this. And somebody would come along and say, Dad, what's in the box? What's in the box? And there is the opportunity to testify and to give testimony to the faith of Joseph. A constant reminder of what is yet to happen to these people. And a way of encouraging them and strengthening them in their waiting. The very fact 150 years before he spoke. And there it is, still encouraging these people. And when we go, he's coming with us. The fulfillment of his faith. Very well then. Let's move on 144 years from his death. God's time has come. The plagues had come upon Egypt. They were going to go out of Egypt. And there was all of the pressure and all of the demands. You can imagine the hustle and the bustle of getting ready. A nation of over a million people to go. Everybody getting packed and everybody getting ready to go. The terrible things that happened on that night when the death of the firstborn occurred. Pharaoh broken, Egypt ruined. Uh, yes, Egypt ruined. And all of them in the haste to leave. And you go back to Exodus chapter 13 and verse 19. And in the midst of all of that trauma, you find they do something very significant. Get the box and they take the box with them as they go out in the exodus from Egypt yes his bones went with them but that's not enough and that's not all they go for 40 years through the wilderness and again the box is with them as they travel all of these miles all of that time they fight to enter the promised land and they come in. Moses is going to hand over to Joshua. And still they're carrying the box and the bones. And there's all of the fight. And when you come to the end of the book of Joshua, all of the land has been portioned out by Lot. Everybody has then been given a word of encouragement to go their separate way to the lot that is given to them. And Joshua's there giving a final word to challenge them, 
Encourage them as they go. And when you come right down to Joshua chapter 24 and verse 32, we read there at the very end of the chapter something. They took the bones of Joshua, of Joseph, and they buried them in the land of promise. What he saw by faith, what he held on to by faith, at last has come to pass. One lesson for ourselves, what God says, God does. That was the conviction of Joseph. His bones, all these years in transit, but eventually they reached where he said they were going. The fulfillment of his faith. Out of the exodus, across the wilderness, and into the promised land. What God says, God does. A lesson or two for ourselves as I close. No matter how long it might be, you might have a promise. You might be holding on to a text of scripture. You might have come through a difficult situation. Or you might have to face a difficult situation. Whatever might be the circumstances of your providence. Let this be said about you. No matter how long. No matter what delay. No matter what problems might come along the path. Time. And all of these other factors does not change what God has said. You've trusted in the Lord in the past. He has never let you down once. But now you've got this, and it's a big problem, and you're holding on to the promise, and you've got real difficulties and real problems. Let this come to your soul. God will be true to the word that is given to you. That is the lesson of the bones of Joseph. No doubt, be sure God can and will do it. The truth stands firm on every promise God has made. He will do what he has spoken about. That was sufficient for Joseph. It should be sufficient for us. And what carries us through life, yes. What carries us into death? Nothing again but the same. The promise of what God will do. It sustained him. It kept him. It gave him strength. Through all of the testing school classes that you and I have got to go through. That same thing, that same confidence, that same promise sustained him in all the difficulties of life. And through death itself. He didn't give up when it came to his last moments. In his very last breath, Genesis 50, 25, in his very last breath. There's a confession of his faith. My bones 
going with you. In the swelling of Jordan, facing death, scary as it is, what is it that will sustain us? Nothing but that very same thing that kept Joseph. Confidence, utter conviction in the promise that God has given and made to us all. A promise seen in the command given. Take my bones with you. Let us pray. Our gracious Lord and God, again we come to thee thankful for thy word and its ministry to us. The way in which the experience of those who have gone before us can be an encouragement to us now today. And may we be able to take from them something for ourselves. That tomorrow might be different for us because of the way we have spent today. Bless us, our Lord, and thy word to us. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Amen. We close this morning by singing from Psalm 119. <clears throat> Again, focusing on what we've just been saying. Psalm 119 from verse 49. And we're just going to sing four verses in that section. <clears throat> Remember, Lord, thy gracious word, thou to thy servant spake, which for a ground of my sure hope thou causest me to take. This word of thine my comfort is in mine affliction, for in my straits I am revived by this thy word alone. The men whose hearts with pride are stuffed did greatly me deride, yet from thy straight commandments I have not turned aside. Thy judgments righteous, O Lord, which thou of old forth gave, I did remember and myself by them comforted have. Psalm 119, 49-52 Remember, Lord, thy gracious word. Remember, Lord, thy gracious word, the thy servants pray,
God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, rest upon and abide with you all. Amen. Amen.